Welcome back to Podcast 81 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by the season. For the best contests in all of sports, please visit www.thesn.com slash OB to play with thousands of people for thousands of dollars. If you can support The Ozbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, Please visit theosbreakers.com, click shop, become a member, pick any for winning cappers to get the premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. Nothing else. Please visit theosbreakers and become a free picks and telegram subscriber. I had a great finish to the week on Monday. Hit our second teaser of the week. That brings us to, I believe we're seven in one in refuse to lose teasers, which is absolutely insane. We're total... 10 and 4 in all teasers and we hit our prop uh for the rushing yards of jacobs we went by over by like four or five yards i was i was thinking he's going to get a little bit more than that but either way 13 and 3 in tiktok props so pretty stoked about that having a great year in the nfl college is right back up to even so very excited for this week and we have a great show because Mr. Eric Eager from Sumer Sports is coming on to break down NFL Week 9 slate of games as well as some advanced metrics. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what he does in Super Sports and uh, how he crunches some of those numbers for us to come up with his wonderful takes. And uh, no better guy to do it than Eric Eager. He has some experience in the industry for a very long time he's a data scientist and uh he was also one of the speakers at the circa at the end of august for the convention so well very excited to talk to eager and bring some of his thought his thoughts to this podcast before eric comes on i'm going to talk about this week's podcast so we're combining college and nfl again this week because i'm going to have another show whether it be Monday morning or sometime on Friday or this weekend. Not sure when I'm going to get to it, but we're going to talk about college basketball because I've been studying college basketball for the last few weeks. I'm almost done with my Big Ten preview. I want to do a Big Ten preview, and I also want to do a show combined with our Tuesday show because college basketball starts Tuesday on college basketball pace changes like I did last week. So that's been keeping me super busy and I'm excited to jump into the college basketball world again and try to get an early start on a sport that I love so much in the world of sports betting. Now, obviously, I'm going to start with college first, being that Eric's an NFL guy, but I also want to talk about some NFL before I get to college because the trade deadline just happened, right? And all these Bears fans are going nuts about how great this Montez Sweat trade was for the Chicago Bears via Ryan Pace. I have no idea what these people are thinking. No idea. Because the Bears are two in five. We're not five in two. And we just gave up a 
early second round pick because the Bears are probably going to pick first, second, or third, right? An early second round pick for a pass rusher that ranks 48th in pass rushing on PFF, on Pro Football Focus. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a great run stopper. So I guess that's where you get the whole three down defensive end type situation. But at the same time, what good is it to give up a high draft pick for a guy you could have gotten in the offseason? I mean, seriously, how good is it to do that? Why bother? And, you know, Bears fans were between Chase Young and him. Many thought the Washington Commanders were only going to give up one. They actually just gave up two. And after that happened, they gave the more talented pass rusher in Chase Young to the 49ers for a third-round draft pick. And the where the Niners are going to pick, that is probably going to be a very late third-round draft pick, closer to a fourth-round pick. So an almost first-round pick for an almost fourth-round pick in these two pass rushers? That makes absolutely no sense. But that's not the argument because you can argue that Chase Young is bad for the locker room. He's injury prone and, and all that good stuff. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you still needed to make this move because whoever would have drafted or traded for Sweat is trying to win this year minus the Bears. You know, nobody else is going to trade for him and give up a high draft pick unless they are trying to win that year. I mean, any team trying to win is going to use their franchise tag on somebody else. Sweat's going to be a free agent this year anyways. So why even bother? Why won't you wait? Because Burns becomes a free agent. Maybe he gets franchise tag, but you can do the same trade in the offseason, the second rounder, or maybe even a third rounder for Burns. Also, what if you hurt the guy? What if he tears his ACL in December? He misses the 2024 football season. He doesn't even play until 2025. I mean, I have absolutely no idea why a team that's not competing made this move. It's the most boneheaded move I could ever think of in my life for a GM to make. You know? Another issue with this is now that you gave up a second-round pick, you just gave all of the negotiation power to Sweat. You know? Now he knows that it's going to be embarrassing for you to not get a deal done. He can ask for the very, very max possible while being rated the 48th pass-rushing defensive lineman in all of pro football via PFF, pro football focus. That absolutely blows my mind. So you're giving up a second-round pick. You're paying the max for him. Maybe at the end of the year, these defensive ends that have issues, one much better against the run and sweat, one has a locker room problem, but he's great against the pass, one is just really good in burns, all might command less money than what you're about to pay sweat. So you gave up capital and paid the max price to boneheaded mistakes for a team that needs so much in the Chicago Bears. Now, what you can hope for 
as a Bears fan is that he turns out and he does really well, doesn't get hurt. You still gave up a second round pick for him, but which makes no sense in this position, but hey, hey, at least you got something. But man, there's so much that can go wrong with this. And it it just blows my mind how poor these GMs are these days in the NFL. Oh, idiot. All right. Well, after saying that, let's get into some college football week 10 games, and I'll break down a few plays that I have prepared for you. All right. There's a pretty big slate of college football. Very excited about it. Um, I usually like to look at some of the earlier games here. Uh, obviously not going to cover anything for Wednesday or Thursday. Well, I could cover Thursday. This comes out Thursday morning. Wake Forest Duke is an interesting game. Duke's a pretty big favorite. I'm supposing Leonard's going to play for them. Duke's in a good spot, being that they just punk got pummeled the last two games, embarrassed a little bit, and they need a big win here. And I think they're going to get it against Wake Forest. Probably going to be a margin win. Wake Forest is not a good team. So my numbers, even though they say uh, lean towards the Wake Forest side just based upon the power ratings, uh, actually it's 11.75. So I'm (laughs) 0.75 of a point. Uh, Yeah, that's not much, right? So I'm very close to the spread on this. I would still lean Duke to clean this one up and uh, cover uh, in this spot for them. Uh, Troy, South Alabama is actually the game that's going to be really fun uh, coming up that same day on Thursday. And now, what's Troy doing laying five and a half points? I know they're a good team and all, but I just don't think that Troy's not much better than South Alabama. If you remember, South Alabama was a big contender last year. And this game actually came down to Four points. Troy won 10 to 6 at South Alabama. And Troy ended up taking, obviously, the uh, Conference USA title. Oh, sorry, not Conference USA, the Sun Belt title last year and uh, beat the heck out of Coastal Carolina. And that was fun. But at the same time, South Alabama, they returned a bunch of production this year and they've had a few hiccups. Uh, tough loss starting out at Tulane. James Madison lost by eight. That's completely fine James Madison is a great team and uh that weird loss to Louisiana last week I have to just think that they're kind of looking ahead to Troy maybe in this situation but uh I, I just think that they kind of stand up really well with Troy now part of the reason for the big spread is that quarterback Carter Bradley from South Alabama hurt his knee but and he left the game but he came to practice just fine on Monday and he's optimistic that he's going to play. So I like that information right there. So, you know, just based upon this, I think this game is going to be a heck of a lot closer than people think. Troy's got a slight yard per play advantage based upon, uh, they're just really good defense. They only allow from yards per play, uh, 4.72 yards on defense while South Alabama allows 5.11 But the offense is pretty close. They're both relatively equal at 6.5 yards per play. But in success rate, uh, South Alabama wins that at ranking 36, while Troy only ranks 103rd. They tend to have some boneheaded mistakes there on offense. So 
I find that interesting. Uh, the turnover margin is pretty close, negative two for South Alabama, positive two for Troy. Sack margin almost equal, one, minus one for South Alabama, plus one for Troy. Uh, so both these teams are just very close. You know, 1.8 yards per play for Troy, 1.45 for South Alabama. Looking at overall EPA margin, South Alabama wins there. They rank number 13th in EPA margin, and uh, Troy ranks 19th. So, I mean, if you're looking at just that stat, South Alabama's a little bit better because they have the better offense when it comes to EPA. Troy's got the slightly better defense and, uh, you know, good against the run, good against the pass. South Alabama probably could use a little bit more against the dropback EPA, but Troy's more of an average throwing team. Not too worried about it. I just think that this is going to be a three-point game, two rivalries. This is to probably play in the title game that you know whoever wins this game is going to get to go to the sunbelt title game and i think that's important for both of these schools it's going to be close uh take the points grab five and a half here for south alabama and do it for 2.5 stars where's my money bitch okay next game let's get into the saturday slate a little bit uh boston college syracuse syracuse minus two and a half that's a that's a correct spread syracuse is let down uh, bad over the past three or four weeks and Boston College has kind of creeped up a little bit this is just tells you well we think two both teams are pretty close probably on a neutral you give a slight edge to Boston College so there you have it I totally agree with that Notre Dame Clemson uh, Clemson money's coming in to make this down to plus three it was more plus four plus three and a half for Notre Dame being a road favorite here now it's do or die for Clemson and Dabo Sweeney sounds like absolute garbage in his interviews right now and I'm just not liking that. I I think that Notre Dame is the better team. I mean, power rating-wise, I have Notre Dame definitely better, and that's why they're laying road chalk here. But, man, um, do you want to lay uh, points uh, at Clemson? Not really. But three, it's almost becoming an argument. I have this at 3.75 for my numbers, and I just don't think Klubnik has it to beat this Notre Dame team. Now, Spot-wise, it's great for Clemson. Clemson looking ugly. Notre Dame looking great. Um, (laughs) I hate betting against teams that look terrible the week before and betting on teams that look great the week before. But the truth is that Notre Dame has a better secondary this year. Not necessarily the better linebackers or defensive line, but definitely the better secondary. And the running plays should go to Notre Dame. They have a much better yards per play at 2.5 to 1.2 for Clemson. Rushing yards per rush, Notre Dame 4.92, Clemson 4.25. They don't have as good of an offensive line as Notre Dame. Yeah, I I make this a four-point spread, and you're at three here. God, not enough for me to get it, but maybe you're going to get enough contrarian money coming in here on Clemson, which would certainly uh, push me over the top if I can get under a three in this game Ohio State Rutgers man I'm not touching this I'm not messing with Ohio State again I was happy enough to get that 14 uh 14 and a half with Wisconsin when they lost by 14 and uh Ohio State's just a great team their quarterback isn't what the level it used to be with with McCord but everybody else around him is great including Marvin Harrison Jr. you just got to throw the ball up for him and he can get it and Rutgers, you know, Shiano knows this team well. He used to coach over there for Notre, or for Ohio State as a coordinator, a defensive coordinator. 
And I just think Ryan Day and him have a good enough relationship where Ryan Day is not going to want to blow him out either. I mean, looking at a total of 42.5, would not shock me if Ohio State just stuffs them and this is more like a 23-6 to type game, you know? Something where Rutgers could cover just because they take a bunch of knees at the end of the game. Uh, pretty ugly type situation here. And I don't think I'm even at this number here. I'm at, well, no, I'm at 18.25. So I do have the this very close to the spread at 19. So not going to mess with this one. We're going to pass on that one. The next game is an early 9 o'clock game, and I'm going to give you a play on it. And it's a big game. Kansas State versus Texas. And this is going to be a wonderful game because uh, – there's so much going on. Texas with the Quinn Ewers injury. Kansas State looking bad a few times this year, losing to Oklahoma State, losing at Missouri. They're on the road again here. But this has tightened up over the past few weeks. And I took a better number, but I still like it at four and a half. I have Texas as the best team in the Big 12. And after watching Oklahoma, you should understand why. But that's with Quinn Ewers. I don't think that the teams are far off from each other from them to Kansas State without Quinn Ewers. Last week versus BYU, BYU I watched court backup Malik Murphy play, and I was not all impressed. 61% completion and only 217 passing yards on 33 attempts. I expected better versus a terrible defense like BYU. I don't think that Ewers is going to make it back for this game, and they're going to keep it quiet if he does. But even if he does, the stats do not highly favor Texas here. Let's just look at the team as a whole. Kansas State offense ranks 17th in success rate. Texas is only ranks 45th. Both defenses are relatively close in that category in the 20s in success rate. Now, Texas has the net yards per play advantage at .31, but without Ewers, that is certainly nullified there. You know, um, I think you're kind of getting almost a free roll with two great teams with a, just an amazing coach over at K-State and Chris Kleiman. And Sarkeesian's good, but he's not a good defensive coach. I think it's going to be a one-score game, probably three points. I'll take the points. I'm taking Kansas State. Take them plus four and a half here. I love this play for 2.5 stars. Where's the five fingers? Say to the face! <laughs> what? Slap! Look at that. Back to back, we have another play for you. Texas A&M versus Ole Miss. Another 9 o'clock game for you. And I don't understand how it got so low. And I admit I took a bad number on this in the fours. I believe I even took four and a half bad number i had no idea money was going to come back on AM after what they've done this year i mean i don't know why the market likes jimbo fisher so much he's like the james franklin of the sec in a way he can beat up on the little teams but he doesn't even do that right <laughs> he doesn't cover all the time against the smaller teams um from a numbers perspective AM's got the better defense ranking fifth in success rate to old miss at 41 but on offense you have to Completely give the nod to Ole Miss, ranking 41st in success rate, 11th in explosive plays, 68th for the Aggies in success rate, 46th in explosive plays. If there's a hole in AM's defense, it's they're giving up the explosive plays. So I like this. If you look this up, 11th in explosive plays for Ole Miss, defense on the Aggies, 121st in allowing defensive explosiveness. So they're playing really t tight press defense, but receivers are getting past them and past the safeties you know they're just kind of cheating up to stop the uh, seam routes and the mid uh, yardage plays the the eight yard routes the ends and the outs and 
the comeback routes, button hooks, we like to call them. But no, it's uh, they're going to get beat over the top by a great Rebels team with a good quarterback here. Uh, the Rebels have a net yard per play advantage over them, 0.47. Uh, I think that's even better now that they're at home. Lane Kiffin has won the last two of these matchups. And Lane Kiffin's been at Ole Miss, what, uh, since 2018-19? So I think that uh, this is a great spot for Lane Kiffin and to kind of put the pedal to the metal here. And they kind of control or at least are not out of the SEC championship game. Alabama could lose to Ole Miss and maybe take another loss. Ole Miss only lost to Alabama, but they beat LSU. If LSU beats Alabama this weekend, then it's all over the place, right? (laughs) I think that LSU could also be the team of choice, but Ole Miss beat them, and they know it. Alabama themselves have it a little bit tough coming on out here. They have to play at Kentucky still, which could be a hiccup for them. And they finish off, obviously, in the Iron Bowl at Auburn. So they're not completely in, especially if they lose here to LSU. It's just going to be a very interesting finish. So Lane Kiffin, uh, I'm going to trust him a lot more than Jimbo Fisher here. I'm betting on the coach. Texas A&M is 2-7 and seven against the spread in road games uh, over the past three seasons. And 0-3 and three as a road underdog. Ole Miss is 11-8 and eight against the spread and home games over that same spread. Take the Rebels at home here. Take it at minus three for 2.5 stars. Well, I've been with the best, and I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. The next game's probably going to be moving up to 11 here. We've got Georgia Tech-Virginia. I find that an interesting game. Both uh, teams, Virginia went to overtime against Miami, but they're at home, and Georgia Tech just beats uh, North Carolina. Big upset. Ugh, leading to Virginia there. Ugly game, but I think Virginia can just muddy it up and ugly it up and pull it out there. Army versus Air Force. Oh, man, is Army a bad team this year? And Air Force is exactly what Army should be, but they're not, and that's why you have a 19-point spread. Army probably can't even stop the option in this game, which is pathetic. And you have a total of 31.5. That's telling you that Army's not going to put up, what, six, seven points? Man, the team total in this must be absolutely pathetic because we're looking at, what, 26 to 5, you know, to have a 19-point spread or 25 to 6, you know, to get the 31. Yeah, 6 points must be the team total for Army in this. What a terrible look for uh, West Point here. Terrible. Just uh, staying away from that game. But I guess I would lean Army just based upon the total itself. You'd just grab the points and think they're going to do some muddy and up here and maybe a few trick plays to you know get them past that that just extremely low team total that's interesting i'm gonna lean that team total over they're probably gonna make it seven with some serious juice on it is what i'm guessing i haven't seen it yet it's too early in the week uh missouri versus georgia well this is a fun game georgia obviously had trouble against them last year and they remembered that you know, the kids that stayed at Georgia remember that. They don't want Missouri to meddle with them again. And Missouri's shown to be a very good team, but now Georgia's finally put it in overdrive some. Um, in saying that, I still think Georgia has problems. And if Missouri just has a hell of a performance, which, man, have they had some great performances with that quarterback Cook over there. Jeez, uh, I, I, this, this could be closer than people think. But my problem is I still am not a big believer in Missouri. They are away and my number is 
So uh, slice and dice it how you want. The last three or four weeks, Georgia has looked elite finally. And so what do you go by? The whole season or when they needed to put the pedal to the metal? Well, they didn't look like they were stoppable against Florida. So I think they can stop Missouri. This is probably a good spread. Might even lean to Georgia a little bit in this situation at the 15 and a half. Florida State versus Pitt. Pitt plus 21 and a half, total of 51. After that disgusting performance against Notre Dame, Pitt is back at home hoping to money it up a little bit. I think they can. You know, I'm going to lean to Pittsburgh. And even though my spread is way higher, Florida State is, I have it at 26.5. I certainly would lean to Pittsburgh in this situation, just being that Florida State probably going to be a little flat. We saw what Florida State does sometimes on the road. Just against Boston College, almost losing that game outright just because of an epic collapse, letting Pittsburgh back in the game, giving up a little bit too late. Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. Now, this is disappointing because I wanted to bet Oklahoma State this week. I thought they would beat Kansas, and maybe it would be be by 3 or 7 or 10 or whatever. They lost outright. So that just makes it a much bigger spot for Oklahoma to do something. I was never that high in Oklahoma State. I was higher than the market because they bet their season win total over. Well, they just need more one more win, I think, to uh, get me to that. Uh, yeah, I just think it's a good line in nowhere land between three and seven. That's probably where it should be. Oklahoma's good enough to beat them. You're going to have some Sooner fans there, but not nearly as much as the Pokes. Uh, Oklahoma State is fortunate to be in this situation. I I mean, my spread is bigger than this. I have this at like minus 11 from a power ratings, but does that make me want to get there? Not really. I mean, not the way Oklahoma barely beat UCF the last two weeks and UCF lost outright to Virginia, West Virginia, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know what's keeping Oklahoma State going so well. It's just that coach over there and Mike Gundy. Dude just balls out, man. He just, no matter what kind of team he gets, he gets them to perform. They just look they just look so average. Exact zero in yards per play margin. 66 in offensive success rate. 49th in defensive success rate. Let's look at Oklahoma's here. I'm sure you're spread the, the numbers are still going to be massive just based upon the fact that, uh, uh, you know, they beat some teams pretty bad earlier. 1.29 net yards per play. It's not that big, but it's something. It definitely shows that the spread is probably right, in my opinion. Sixth in offense success rate, ninth in defense success rate. They just can't screw up with Dylan Gabriel there, and they have to uh, make some good plays. Penn State, Maryland, I have a premium play in, so I'm not going to mess with that one right now. Uh, James Madison versus Georgia State. This is an interesting game because this kept going up and up. But, man, are you going to get in the way of James Madison this year? I'm not. I think James Madison is out to prove a point, and I hope that they go undefeated for next season. All right, well, let's move on to the night shift. And this is where I have our next premium play here. And we are going to look to... USC and USC is playing Washington. All right. Now, if you remember what I said last show about Caleb Williams, um, how he, what he does to win games. I mean, that that's important. I think that that factors in because USC is a terrible freaking favorite, but they are a dang good dog. 
And the reason they're a dang good dog is because they can play some offense and catch up to anybody. That offense can score points. Now they're sitting at home as a home dog. It's the only position that you want to back them as a home dog. You have USC uh, against Washington, who's getting all the accolades right now. Uh, I think this is the last hurrah right now for USC, just to make a statement, you know. And I was the one saying that USC was overrated to start the year, and I think that certainly was true. But that does not mean Washington should be laying past three points on the road. The Trojan defense has been their crutch so far, 68th in success rate. But the Huskies, they quietly rank worse at 98th in success rate on their defense. Their defense ain't that good. Washington's got a 1.12 net yard per play advantage over USC, and I could easily argue that USC has played the rougher schedule. You know, they went to Notre Dame, to ASU, to Colorado, and to Cal. Well, Washington went to Michigan State and Arizona before Fafita was rolling, you know, uh, and Stanford. And, man, they almost lost to ASU and Stanford, took a uh, some shady officiating as well as um, – just a very big fourth quarter for them to do that, to come back. Now, Michael Penix has been fantastic, but there's a lot of tape on this system now with Kalen DeBoer. And, uh, you know, I know my, I don't give Lincoln really a, Riley a ton of credit when it comes to game planning, but, I mean, this is a spot where Kayla Williams, uh, who has weapons, who won the Heisman last year, has to keep this game close. Um, another big week at this for the Husky defense, they do not get sacks. They rank 126 in sacks, only 10 this year. USC ranks 26th. So if you're going to let Kayla Williams sit there and dance all day, uh, you know he's going to make some big plays. Uh, there's so many ways USC covers. It could be by outright just winning this game all day. It could be just down 14 and two last three-minute touchdowns. It could be just a back-and-forth game. I just see so many opportunities for USC, plus the three-and-a-half. I mean, I just do not understand how the market can make this big of a mistake in this big of a spot here. Take USC plus 3.5 for 2.5 stars. What do you think you're doing? What have you done? Do you know what you just did? Huh? I'll tell you what you just did. You just, in a very simple common term, made the mistake of a lifetime. All right. Well, that's our college plays. Now let's get into a little NFL Week 9 with our wonderful guest, Mr. Eric Eager. Now I'm very pleased to welcome a great NFL metrics analyst and very sharp mind in Mr. Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. You can follow Eric on X at Eric Eager underscore. Sorry to say that. Eric, thanks for coming on, my man. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you at the Circa, uh, at the convention in August. How's the football season been treating you? Things are good, man. It's it's great to be on with you, and things are good. I can't believe that we're kind of at the halfway mark now, um, basically. And, you know, scoring is down in the league, and, you know, some of the primetime <laughs> games haven't been as fun to watch. But for the most part, this has been an enjoyable football season so far. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, it's been down, and I... I didn't think it would go down. I thought the NFL would have, has done enough to keep some offense there, but it's really interesting how teams are just knowing to sit on the ball. It's almost like a race to two minutes left <laughs> in a way. Uh, it, I guess it kind of started with some of the Eagles and what they did, but um, 
Um, what are your thoughts on the reason that they do that? Or just they just think they have a better strategy getting down to the last few minutes? Uh, I don't know. I, I when I look at the numbers as far as like the NFL season and why you know things aren't scoring as much, you know. The success rate is about the same. If you look at rushing and passing, you know, the, the percentage of plays where the offense gains like positive expected points has basically been the same as last year, uh, a little bit lower. Um, but what's called expected points added is like dropped significantly. And I think that a big deal for that is, you know, just teams are limiting big plays, right? You watch the Raiders the other night against the Lions, and they're just playing so conservatively defensively that they're just kind of daring you to make a mistake. And, like, to their credit defensively, Jared Goff threw a pick six, and they they were kind of in the game. And even though their offense wasn't really doing much, they kind of hung around. And there's been a lot of games like that. I do a, a stream with Rob Pizzola of the Hammer. You know, we I come on for a quarter, and we talk about football and goof off. And, like, it's, it's crazy the number of games where one team is really in control of the other, and the score doesn't necessarily reflect it. Uh, Buffalo versus Tampa Bay, like they outgained Tampa by a country mile. They only win by six. They don't cover. Um, you know, I think even earlier, like the Eagles against Tampa Bay uh, on that Monday night game where, again, they cover and Tampa doesn't look embarrassing, but that's because they don't turn the ball over much. And, and I think like a lot of these bad teams right now, and I, I'm you know trying to be responsible semantically, but a lot of these teams are like a little bit lower on the totem pole they're just basically playing conservative football on both sides of the ball, shortening the games. And that's why you're getting some games like Sunday night football, like Monday night football, where one or both of the offenses look like they're moving the ball okay, but you're not getting the games going over the total because they're just not enough possessions. Yeah, no one wants to get embarrassed, I guess. That's a good point. Um, you know, they know they're not competing necessarily for a Super Bowl, just kind of run the ball, hold on to the ball, and uh, – Kind of see what happens at the end. It seems to be the new trend. And yeah, Tampa had no business getting back into that game from a ATS perspective, but they did. Uh, I had no side in that, thank goodness. But, uh, you know, a couple fourth down penalties, which we've been seeing more and more in the late fourth quarter, uh, in my opinion. And uh, and obviously the bounce off the guy into the receiver's hands. Uh, I think it was the Titans' hands. Either way, it was uh, uh, just a crazy finish. So um, interesting that they're doing that. Um, well, speak, I mean, that's a great segue and, uh, I'd like you to first tell the audience, uh, you know, just a little bit about yourself and how you got to Sumer sports and how you got started. But, uh, I'd like to go into some of the uh, EPA or advanced metrics questions after that. Yeah. So I, you know, I was, um, you know, a college math professor for six years. Um, I was a college football player, but I, you know, wasn't anywhere close to being good enough. Uh, to play in the NFL. And so, you know, I went to grad school, got a PhD in math, kind of went the traditional academic route, got, you know, a professor job. And kind of during that time period, I, you know, started to, you know, kind of fall in love with football again. There was opportunities in the space because, as you probably know, there weren't that many people doing really advanced analytical work in football. You had Brian Burke, who I know has been a, a main character of late with some of his metrics. And, you know, there were a few sharp people like Rufus Peabody and, and people like that that were building metrics. Obviously, sharp betters behind the scenes were building metrics that no one was, you know, obviously a pervy to. But then, you know, PFF had this treasure trove of data that I, you know, I figured somebody was doing, you know, analysis on. And it, it just wasn't the case, right? They, there weren't actually people doing the analysis on 
uh, some of these data sets that I had figured were happening. And so, um, you know, I went through, I, I built out a lot of PFFs, um, kind of player eval stuff for, uh, you know, the, the team level stuff. And then I, I eventually moved on to kind of consumer side and built out, you know, their fantasy and, and gambling tools and that kind of thing. And that, you know, that kind of was, you know, my calling card for a while, um, you know, struck up some some really good relationships with people on teams. And so I was able to see some of the inner workings of, you know, what it was like to be, um, you know, to be a part of all of this. And, you know, in 2021, um, you know, I started to get, you know, uh, you know, get some relationships that eventually would, would lead me to Sumer. Uh, and I really enjoy kind of what we're doing here, which is a little bit less of like the data collection and data selling and more of like the analysis, more of building off of kind of the great work that, and not, you know, next gen stats and PFF and fade the noise and all the, the great data providers are, are bringing to us. We're kind of trying to build that, that next layer on top of it. No, it makes total sense. And, uh, you know, let me, allow me the opportunity to brown nose a little bit. I did happen to find a hat when I was out in uh, Las Vegas, a Sumer sports hat. So I, I will wear it for this wonderful show. And it's a great hat. Um, Let's talk about That's some awesome. <laughs> things. Let's talk about some of this, uh, some of these metrics there, because I look at Sumer Sports as a great site, um, and you know, there's a lot of listeners that don't know how to kind of compare and contrast uh, EPA with success rate and things like that. Uh, maybe just in a in a nutshell, I guess, could you tell us the difference uh, between EPA and, and success rate? What are they both good for, and how do you use them? Yeah, they, they use kind of the same deal, which is expected points. And so it, the way that I kind of think about expected points is it, it's a way to make continuous what is very discrete. So the classic example is, you know, when you have uh, back in the day, the Tampa Bay Bucks, you had Warwick Dunn would run for 70 yards and get tackled at the five-yard line. And, and Mike Allstott would run the ball in from five yards out. And, you know, Mike Allstott would get the six points, Warwick Dunn would get no touchdowns. And it's like, well, work done did a decent amount of the work. And then the big question is like, well, how much of that work? Because we know, you know, and NFL teams are finding out this year in, in very, very definitive ways that that last five yards is actually really hard to get. And so how do you actually make rigorous the, the value of those? And expected points added is really what will do it, right? So the expected points added will say, you know, a five-yard gain on first down and 10 from the 20-yard line is worth about 0.1 expected points or something like that. An interception is worth four expected, four and a half expected points to the defense. A sack is worth about 1.85 expected points to defense. So you're kind of putting a, do, a, a value on each of these things. Now, that's great. There are these huge swings, though, right? You think about the Lions and Raiders the other night where Jared Goff throws an interception and gets returned for a touchdown. That's a big play. Um, that's going to be worth, you know, uh, let's say seven expected points to the defense because it was returned for a touchdown. And like, that's really spiky. Right. And so, you know, EPA is a really good tool for like being able to understand kind of the distributions of outcomes. For example, the 49ers run game for the longest time had like really good EPA per play relative to other run games because they'll hit big plays. Dolphins are the same way now with Mike McDaniel. Success rate is really just like whether or not you get positive EPA on a play. So it's a it's a zero or one metric, right? So it's it's going to like I think a Drew Brees, a very good success rate quarterback, but maybe not a great EPA quarterback. He was a great AP, but better at success rate than EPA, for example. Um, 
the Niners running game, really good EPA running game, but not a great success rate running game. They're more of like a, a home run hitter in baseball than they are a singles hitter. And so like being able to kind of look at those two, they're incredibly correlated, right? And if you look at the graphs, but like the teams that are maybe a little bit more explosive than they are efficient are going to look, you look higher on the EPA side. The teams are, the, are a little bit more efficient, but less, um, but uh, less explosive are going to be on kind of the, the, the success rate side. And I think NFL defenses are, have realized that there's not a ton of value actually in, in optimizing for, for success rate avoidance. It's more of optimizing for uh, big play avoidance because, you know, the, the probability is like, let's say you have a 50% chance of, of being successful on every play. Well, being successful on like a 70% chance of being successful every three downs, you start multiplying those numbers together, right? And you that number goes to zero very quickly. So the defense is like, okay, you have a 70% chance of getting this first down and then the next first down and the next first down, but your chance of getting six straight first downs is 0.7 to the sixth power, which is actually a pretty large, small number. Whereas if you get big chunk plays, that's obviously going to lead to points in, in a much more efficient way. So that's kind of the the, the gamble or the, the kind of wagering that these defenses are doing in the NFL now. No, I love it. And that's kind of how I think of it as well. It's like Penn State and the college, they're great at success rate, but they have no big plays. And uh, sometimes it really shows some of their uh, you know games are just really low scoring games and they're only beating up on the bad teams in some cases. But, you know, you use that part of the APA perspective and it's like, you know, they're not scoring as much. And, uh, you know, it only takes a certain number of plays. You can get three and a half yards every single play and, and work your way down. But eventually one's going to be a fumble. So I totally get that. That's why where EPA does compare to success rate. And, yeah, valuation, I think of. Ezekiel Elliott last year, he's getting all the touchdown runs while Tolly Pollard was getting him down there, you know, kind of the same correlation with work done and all stop back in the day. So uh, love it. It's a great way to look at it. So um, certainly love, love teams with high both, you know, they can get first downs and make explosive plays and that's what you look for. But that's a great comparison. Uh, before we get to the games, uh, can you tell us a little bit about ADOT? You guys use ADOT. They're a pro football focus where you used to be. They use ADOT a lot, average depth of target, it means. And then you see from next-gen stats, intended air yards. Uh, I think they're closely correlated as well, but can you tell us the difference between those two stats? Yeah, so ADOT is really just the distance from the line of scrimmage to where the ball is supposed to land on a pass. So it's really sort of looking at intent. Um, Josh Hermsmeyer, who was formerly a 538, formerly of PFF, um, one of the best minds in the space. I know he doesn't do it as much publicly anymore. Um, he really like fortified that, you know, um, that metric in a lot of people's minds where it, it's basically, you know, how, 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 you know, how far downfield are you throwing? And the you know, great questions arise in that where it's like, is it an, is it a quarterback stat? Is it a wide receiver stat? Is it a little bit of both. Um, I think that there's, you know, really good uh, questions to be had there. And, and, you know, it, it you can really see kind of like what an offense is requiring with a quarterback. Like Jimmy G when he was on the 49ers, you know, really high, you know, yards per pass attempt, not particularly high ADOT. And so you were getting an idea of like, okay, well, who's creating the yards for that team? Well, it's the wide receivers. Um, you know, Cam Newton was a little bit higher of an ADOT guy at certain times of his career, and that's why he had lower completion percentage. And then, you know, from there you were looking at things like completion percentage over expected because – you know, Sam Bradford, for example, in 2016, led the NFL in completion percentage, set a record for a season, but averaged six and a half yards of pass attempt. 
Well, that's because he was throwing the ball underneath all the time. And so, you know, that that variable really helped people kind of adjust what their ideas of accuracy were. Like anybody can be accurate when you're throwing five-yard passes all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's really about whether or not you can be accurate at all depths or at least the depths that matter the most. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. There's a lot of quarterbacks that feed off of that metric, even though it might not mean a lot. If you're not catching them at full speed, running some sort of a post route, if they're all like comeback routes, in routes, and stuff like that, they get tackled right away. So it doesn't matter. You know, if you're great completion percentage, low EPA, who wants that? <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. I mean, in football outsiders, Aaron Schatz, who I admire quite a bit. Like they had something called failed completions, which I thought was really cool. So like Nick Foles in 2015, it was like he had like one of the highest failed completion rates uh, where it's like you you throw a pass, but it's like not getting a success. It's not a successful play, right? Down to the success rate bit. And, and yeah, that's important context, right? We look back at like, you know, Steve Young and Joe Montana and like guys like that who had really high completion percentages, but they backed it up with touchdowns and ball, you know, moving the football incredibly well. Um, but there are other guys who are lower, like Doug Williams, for example, in the 80s. Like he had a completion percentage under 50%, but he had good yards per pass attempt. He had good sack avoidance. And so he actually ran efficient offenses, even though he wasn't necessarily the most accurate quarterback in the world. And that's you know why you have to look more contextually at some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's just some great examples on how people use these stats and can kind of read what a team really is. You know, if you're jumping into the spread and trying to figure out what it is and why, and maybe if you have, you can find some value if uh, some of these advanced stats are showing that, you know, the completion percentage is high, they catch a lot of balls, but yeah, they're not really making a lot of big plays. And this is the kind of defense you make big plays. They play cover too. You know, they're going to stop you. They're not going to let you through. So there's a lot of great information that you can get from sport uh, sites like Sumer Sports. Well, real quick, what are your favorite stats that you like to use? I see ELO at, at Sumer Sports. Uh, what is that? And uh, what, are the, what are your favorites? Um, yeah, I mean, ELO is just a way to do a power ranking that's kind of quick and dirty. Now, we do um, – we use that as well as some other things to to power our season simulation, which is sort of to help, you know, kind of give a blunt estimate of, you know, what futures people might like or even just an idea of, like, for example, what, what likelihood are the Cardinals, um, you know, to sort of win – uh, what likelihood are the Cardinals to like earn the first overall pick, stuff like that. And ELO really, like if you do like kind of a traditional ELO, um, people will look at, at um, people will look at that. Like let's look at the R squared with the closing number of a game. It's like 0.75, right? So, so that like a, a traditional ELO model, like gets to the real fat of the distribution of, of point spreads and stuff. So it's a really good tool to sort of simulate seasons um, because you can get, you know, on the green there. Now, everybody knows that it, an R squared of 0.75 is not going to win you money in sports betting. You need like a few other things, but at least from like a forward facing sort of idea, it, it, it can really, um, it can really help, uh, you know, see who's good and like what, what kind of like a win does to a, a, you know, a team's power rating. Now I like to generally think of, you know, I take that number, I kind of adjust it using other things like success rates and injuries and, you know, player player models and player values. Like what is Montez sweat to the point spread? I mean, I think we saw that all this week, um, but it's a very good starting point. My other one is EPA per play, both passing, rushing, but also on offense and defense. That's a big one. Uh, success rate in both of those. Um, you know, 
I also like to, and this is like my favorite page at Sumer Sports, is our offensive line combination uh, deal where you look at literally offensive line combinations and how they do relative to the other offensive line combinations on a team. I think that that's very instructive and very illustrative of, you know, what what an offensive line is doing to help a team win. Gotcha. So, so yeah, an EPA per play and an offensive line, I always like to start in the trenches myself, and that's uh, – that makes total sense to me. You have EPA per pass, EPA per rush. I'm sharing my screen right now, right from Sumer Sports and some of the wonderful advanced stats that you have. And uh, I, I see echo rate as well. I believe that's how successful you are in scoring opportunities, right? Yes, and this is this is by one of our data scientists who I know you met at Circa, uh, Parker Fleming. He, um, it, it's basically the the number, the percentage of drives that get into scoring position. So, you know, series success rate is this idea of like how many times you turn a first down into another first down. And Echo is sort of like a little bit of a step further than that, which is how often do you get to like the other team's 35 yard line, basically? Mm -hmm. And um, that's, you know, if a team has a high Echo rate, but they're not scoring a lot of points. So you think about like Dallas or Seattle, like over time, in theory, you would expect them to, you know, sort of regress. I love it because that means. That there's a lot of teams that can, and I used to, you know, just as a football fan my whole life, I would see teams just, they can always get to the 35, but once in that, once the defense tightens yeah. up, they can't do anything. Kind of similar to what you're saying with, uh, you know, passes on the, you know, obviously before the first down, uh, short passes, uh, simple routes, uh, while the safeties come in a little bit because they don't have to go back as far to cover, obviously, the deep threat, then your offense completely sputters. So that makes total sense. Well, we have a few minutes to go over a few games, and I think you might be a little proud of me because I'm going to talk about EPA myself, and I'm going to talk about it when it comes to a total, Eric. Uh, I'm looking at the Washington uh, Commanders. I want to say football team for some reason. Uh, against the Patriots, and this total came all the way down to 40.5. Now, it says slight chance of showers. I don't think it's going to rain. Temperature is going to be in the 50s, which is uh, fine football weather. But you look at the commanders, um, they did lose, obviously, their their defensive ends. And I don't know. I don't think it's worth a point to necessarily say that from a spread because especially the very next game, some of the other uh, players can st stand up. But maybe it does give... Uh, Mac Jones a little extra time to throw from the pocket or whoever's quarterbacking and yep. when I'm looking at some of the numbers here I'm caring about the defense a little bit both teams are very desperate on offense Sam Howell's a little bit turnover prone but I look at EPA per drop pack drop back EPA the Washington football team is 30th in drop back EPA and the New England Patriots is 27th both secondary I believe is terrible in the in the NFL and when you're looking at some desperate quarterbacks, capable quarterbacks like Sam Howell, I think that they can get the ball downfield. And I also like the uh, receivers for Washington. And obviously, uh, the Patriots still have a couple good receivers. I know Parker's questionable, but Juju Smith-Schuster's there. I think Tyquan Thornton's finally off IR. You might see a little bit of him this weekend. I can see them moving the ball against these uh, these weak defenses. I'm taking the over 40.5. Um, I think the overs are finally starting to adjust a little bit too low, Eric. And I see success on both sides, uh, on both offenses coming into this game. Yeah, I like that take. I mean, I, I kind of like Washington ATS. Uh, I think the number moved a little bit too much. The thing for me is the reason the Washington Commanders are so low in terms of EPA on offense is not because of what Sam Howell can do throwing or can't do throwing the ball. I think he's perfectly great, you know, perfectly fine. 
when he gets an opportunity to throw. To me, it's more of the 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 dropbacks where he doesn't throw because it because he gets a because he gets a sack and and that kind of thing. And so I I'm more um, when I look at New England, New England's got the fourth worst. Um, he's got the 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 fourth worst uh, you know sack rate, right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, Howell, Howell and Enemy did a great job last week. He wasn't sacked until the very, very end of the game. He was terrific because of that. Um, I think that if that continues, and there's really not like a pass rusher, you know, the, the New England pass rush is sort of more um, the group than it is like any one dominant player. And I think if Enemy can kind of hold strong there with, with their scheme, um, I think that the Washington Commanders can score this game. It's an open question to me as to whether or not New England would be able to score in this game. But that's kind of why I like the Washington and maybe Washington team total more than I would actually like, uh, you know, the, the whole total, even though I do, I, I do lean that way. Uh, I, I think I like Washington just a little bit more. Well, geez, they're dogs. And I did grab this as a better number here. Uh, I grabbed it twice. I couldn't believe it went up past three. And then I was at three and a half for a while. So I like that side too. That was a premium play, but we'll, that's okay. I think the, the side in the over certainly could hit. I think Washington's a better team. I'm actually shocked that they're plus three in this situation, Eric. Uh, is there any games that you like that you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I like, um, you know, when I look at this game, I mean, I think it's a simple, uh, the 9.30 game in the morning, the the Germany game. The Chiefs are anywhere from minus two to minus one and a half. There are some inexpensive minus two and a half, so you want to do it. You know, Patrick Mahomes, his ATS record has not been great. Uh, the last, you know, basically since the middle of 2020. Um, but one place where he does shine is as a short favorite or an underdog. Um, and, you know, that that's kind of Andy Reid's thing. Uh, optimizes to win the game, doesn't necessarily optimize to win by margin. Uh, a week ago, obviously, the offense did really poorly. Uh, people are looking at the wide receiver group as whether or not they're, they're viable. Chargers defense, to me, is a similar defense to the Dolphins, who they're playing this week, and Kansas City carved them up. Um, I also think that you know the Dolphins' offensive line and defensive line haven't really faced stout groups the way that they're going to. And when they have teams like the Eagles and Buffalo, they've gotten killed. And so I, I like Miami as a franchise. I like the direction that they're going. I think that Mike McDaniel really has this team in a good spot. Tua Tunga-Vailoa is playing great football. Um, but I think in this one, I think you have to go with Kansas City. Don't disagree. I mean, there's no better fourth-quarter quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. And Tua, you know, they – when he's not getting a, a big pass rush, he looks really good. And they beat up on small teams, and they put up some points. But uh, Kansas City, with Jones in there, does get to the quarterback, and they can get to the quarterback. And I think they can rattle to it enough in this situation. I still think they, uh, the Dolphins do put up points. Um, the Chiefs' defense is definitely better than I've remembered, that's for sure. Uh, I, I just think guys like Tyreek Hill are going to want to have a big game, and he probably will have a big game. I wonder if Andy Reid um, – it, well, not Andy Reid, but their defense uh, figures that out and maybe puts a little bit more of a safety closer to him in that situation. But they have a lot of weapons with Miami. The total's at 50 and a half. And to be honest with you, being in London, I lean under in this total. I, I, I think that uh, the defense of the Kansas City is going to show up. And uh, they are coming off that bad loss. I, I don't think they're going to want to allow too many points like they did to Denver last week. And uh, I lean, I'd certainly lean to the Chiefs. And I didn't play it yet, but. Uh, I might be a player on them later. Yeah, I think I think that the this is gonna this could either go you know like Miami did an opening day where they played the Chargers and the over was such an easy cinch, or 
you know, the Chiefs have played games where, I mean, even I talked about the Chargers game two weeks ago. That total was 47 and a half at close. First half of the game, they can't be stopped. And they needed a long punt return and a touchdown at the end just to go over that closing line, not the not the midweek line right. uh, for the total. It's just an environment where it's tough to go over in the NFL, especially totals that are in the 50s, even with great offenses, just because the name of the game for both of these teams is going to be playing safeties deep and and daring the other quarterback to be patient and not get bored on the way to the end zone because we've seen that with both guys, both Tua and Patrick Mahomes, as good as he is, have gotten you know kind of bored and thrown interceptions when the other team's defense is not giving them the the intermediate stuff and the and the deep stuff. Yeah, very true. That and uh, it's going to be. I think they're going to use the running backs more than people think as well. Uh, I think that you know they're they're also afraid, like you said, of the big play and. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought that Miami, even though they're a, a top rush defense, um, I'm sorry, no, they're not a top rush defense. They're a top rushing offense. I think they're going to try to move the ball uh, rushing. But I also didn't like Miami's defense uh, against the run. And I'm looking for the numbers now. And I thought I saw Miami as one of the worst, not necessarily the worst, but a, a poor rushing defense. And that's just changed. Yep. It's where I think Pacheco props might be good in this situation, Eric. I think Pacheco is going to have a massive game. And, you know, everyone's thinking pass, uh, shootout here. Miami is 29th in rush EPA on defense. So this says under to me. And this also says uh, running back props. So <laughs> we'll be looking at that, man. That's a that's a great take. Um, we only have a minute left. So is there any other games you want to throw out there or? Yeah, I, I think when I look at Sunday Night Football, I think that the gap between Dallas and Philadelphia is not as big as the spread would suggest. Um, Dallas has figured some things out, namely throwing the ball to CeeDee Lamb. Um, I think Pollard has been one of the least efficient backs in football, but some of that I think is noisy. Some of that I think is um, you know Dallas's offensive line going through some injury stuff. Um, Dallas's defense, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, quietly was going it went into last week leading the NFL in interceptions and you know Dallas's defense is obviously one that can take the ball away and score with it um it, it, you know the Philadelphia is kind of a difficult truck to get in front of if you took plus six or plus seven with Washington last week you were lucky if you got seven you pushed um but if you had plus six you had a Washington team that kind of controlled that game all, all game and didn't cover um so you know the Eagles certainly are a bus that's difficult to get in front of but I think Divisional game, I think Jalen Hurts looks a little bit unright to me at times, um, just physically. I think he's performing okay. Um, so I'm going to take Dallas in this one. I, I just like Dallas as an underdog in this game. Yeah, you know, um, the Eagles, little fat and happy. I think Hurts is a little banged up. Uh, great points. He's quietly leading the league interceptions. Uh, the, the tush push thing, I think teams are eventually going to figure out. I think I bet you uh, McCarthy's got them practicing that this week on defense. I would think so anyway. Uh, I was looking at this, and my numbers say closer to pick as well. And I think Dallas has those big explosive games that sometimes pad their stats, and then they have some chokers against the Niners. But they're going to get up for this game, and it's a big division game. And I can see... I can see them being in this game, too. So my numbers don't agree with it. I was a little scared of it, but I'm going to consider it, uh, certainly, since you like it as well. So um, interesting stuff, man. Uh, the, you got three. I wonder if it gets to three and a half. I don't think it does. I think it's the three is probably the no. best you're going to get in this situation here on a Betfred odds screen. So loving it, man. Big play and probably the biggest game 
of the weekend. Well, that's some great stuff, Eric. I really appreciate you coming on the show and breaking down some of this great information over at Sumer Sports. Uh, love some of the advanced metrics you guys talk about. Uh, where could our listeners get your great information and media? Yep, at Sumer Sports on Twitter is our Sumer, is our Sumer Sports Twitter account. And then uh, sumersports.com is where you find all of our content. I write a weekly column. We have a we have a newsletter. So if you go to the zone on Sumer Sports, we'll sign you up for the newsletter. That's a pre a newsletter to preview the weekend and a newsletter to review the weekend every single week. Um, we have a really cool podcast called Stats and Schemes with Tage Seth, who I know you met at Circa, as well as Sean Syed, who has a, a very good analytical mind as far as scheme is concerned. A lot of cool stuff coming out of Sumer Sports. So uh, give us a chance. Give us a shot. Make sure you guys give Sumer Sports a shot. Eric, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be talking and uh, you have a wonderful weekend. Best of luck on your plays. Hey, thanks for having me on. Take care. All right, my friends. Well, I'm not done yet. We're going to go into this NFL slate of games. And talking about Tennessee versus Pittsburgh, we'll start with the Thursday night game. This looks like a Mitch Trubisky game to me. I'm not sure if they really announced if Peck Pickett's out. If they did, I missed it. And I'm usually pretty in tune to that stuff. But uh, it, I'm not a big Mitch Trubisky fan. I think that he just doesn't have a lot of confidence. He makes some very wild passes, as you saw last week. And uh, Tennessee kind of feels a little bit new energy, but at the same time, that can work against them. Sometimes when that rookie comes in, they look great. You saw that with Tyson with uh, Tyson Badgett against the Raiders, and then they look pretty bad in that same offense uh, the week afterwards, and that could very much happen to Tannehill. But even if that happens, uh, this Steelers offense is terrible, and this is why you see a total of 36 and a half in the NFL. That's under the key number of 37. Now, to be honest with you, the Titans can be scored upon deep. Maybe Mitch does have a good game. That's a bad secondary with the Titans and the Steelers as well. They both kind of have the same problems. They have some pass rush. They can stop some runs, but they get beat deep. Uh, so this, I could see how this could go over. I'm not touching the total. Um, Numbers-wise, I mean, it, wh what's your belief? Lev is Will Levis going to be as good or better than Tannehill? Because if that's the case, then you like the Titans in this situation. You know, my number is not uh, close to three. It's at Pickham. I have the Titans at minus 0.2 in this game. But being that it's the next game, quarterbacks that are new tend to falter a little bit Steelers in a situation after looking bad last week probably want to put some points up three is probably a decent number I still lean Titans but I think a teaser leg is best for this one now I did tease this already last week in a protect teaser so I'm looking good right now with my Titans at plus nine but if you just want my lean for this game we're going to go Titans at plus three uh, we already talked about the Chiefs Dolphins I, it's, everything Eric said makes sense. I think the Dolphins are a terrible run D, and I think that that's where the ball's going to move is on the ground. Um, I, I might get to the window with the Chiefs. Uh, just haven't quite yet, but I'm seriously considering it myself. Uh, Cardinals versus Browns. And the Browns are laying minus eight. You have a pretty low total here, 37.5. Man, um, I heard Deshaun Watson is practicing. I don't know if that means he plays all these limited in practice stuff you know doesn't really do it for me i almost think that uh it could be another smoke screen that we've been hearing all year uh stefanski relied relayed that watson will practice on a limited basis that's about it that's all the information that we have i can't trust that he plays he is better than pj walker but is he better the very next game that's another great question 
this is a big spread to lay against the Cardinals team. Now they just traded Josh Jobs, as you know. This is another trade I don't understand. Trade Dobbs in the seventh for a six-round pick, you know, to move up around with Dobbs. I mean, what if Toon gets hurt? What if Murray gets hurt if he plays later? I, I don't understand it. it. Plus, you gave up a fifth round to get Dobbs earlier in the year. So it's like you really didn't do anything but make your your rebuild worse. I, it makes no sense to me, but... These GMs, I, I'll, I'll never be able to figure them out. Anyways, uh, I think that it's going to be tune plan, but I guess that Jonathan Gannon uh, said that it might be Kyler Murray as well. I think that Kyler Murray will be Kyler Murray again. You can say what you want, if that's great or bad. I think he's either great or bad. <laughs> I don't see a lot of middle ground with him. It almost feels like Murray is going to play, which would probably knock this line down a little bit. But if uh, Sean Watson plays, this should be a simple win for the Brownies here. So uh, we're going to use this as a teaser leg. I think it's a great teaser leg going from eight or seven and a half to two, in my opinion. Even if Kyler Murray does come back, he still has a very, very suspect team full of injuries and full of uh, just lower class players because that's what they wanted to do, a complete rebuild. Next game. The Seahawks versus the Ravens. And man, watching Geno Smith, at, you know, he was great at the very beginning and the very end of last game, but it was terrible in the middle. Lucky to get that win at home against the Browns. And uh, the Ravens look great. They look at one of the top teams in the league. And the Todd Munkin offense is starting to really fit in here. And it's telling you this with the spread. Ravens minus six against a scrappy Seahawks team. Well, the Ravens are great against the run, and they're not bad against the pass. So it makes me wonder what Geno's going to do here. Um, Mine perfect numbers have this at 6.6, and it's a decent data set because these teams haven't lost their quarterback all year. Both of them had some injuries. The the, uh, Baltimore Ravens were a little bit more injured throughout the season than the Seattle Seahawks. So my number is Baltimore 6.6 in this situation. That wasn't quite enough for me to take it, obviously. But I certainly will lean the Ravens here. And I think Seattle finally falters on the road. But I will say that Seattle did fight against the Lions quite well early in the season, week two, on the road. So that has some concerns. Seattle is 4-3 and three as a dog. That's actually straight up. They're 5-2 and two against the uh, spread as uh, the last three seasons as a dog. Sorry, I'm just going to read in this. And then the Ravens, only one in three, the last three seasons as a home favorite between 3.5 to 7 points. Uh, the Ravens just in general at home is 8 and 11 over the last three seasons. I mean, not a lot to go by there, but when the spread is this close to my number, I'm probably going to stay away a little bit. I think the Seahawks are a very definitely above average team. They're a good team. The Ravens are a borderline great team. If you include that game against the Eagle or against the Bengals, I mean, the Seahawks probably should have won that game, you know, and that was a way as well. So, I mean, Seahawks being such a good road team, that is, that's interesting. I, I, I might think a little bit more about this one. Let's move on to the next game, the Bears versus the Saints. The Bears are plus eight. The total is 41. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you saw good badgent. You saw bad badgent. And 
a very bad defense with the Bears, but it's also Derek Carr throwing the ball, and he can be absolutely haphazardous. And just because he had a good game last week doesn't mean he's going to come home and have a good game. The Saints are have actually quietly been a pretty bad home team over the past uh, few years. And I'll pull up the numbers here from StatFox. Over the last three years, they're 5-13 and 13 against the spread at home. But then the Bears, uh, 6-15 and 15 against the spread on the road team. Something has to give here, you know. Um, but it's a big spread. It's past the 7. You know, why is it past the 7 here? It makes no sense to me because the Bears didn't sign, trade Jalen Johnson. They didn't trade their quarterback. They should be getting Eddie Jackson back, which was supposed to play last game, but he never did. And the Bears uh, also obviously got Sweat. I'm guessing Sweat's going to play this game. Why would he not? So the Bears kind of got better here a little bit. I didn't agree with the trade, but yeah, they got better. Uh, this makes no sense for me. You got to take the Bears again. You got to take them at seven and a half for 2.5 stars. Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. All right. Next game, the Vikings versus the Falcons. And this is just a disgusting-looking game right now. It looks like Jaron Hall is going to have to start for the Vikings, and that's why this spread moved about four and a half points. If Cousins was playing this game at Atlanta, I would have the Vikings favored by one point. It's five and a half point difference. That's exactly where I have this downgrade right now, about five and a half points. I have it about four points when Joshua Dobbs comes in. So if you're looking at that situation, this spread is probably right on with Atlanta. But the things about Atlanta, they cannot, uh, they cannot cover three points, it seems. <laughs> That's a bad offense right there. And the Viking defense has gotten better. I'm guessing the Vikings are going to run the ball a ton. Maybe Jaron Hall has that great backup guy first game. I don't know. But it's... This game has a low confidence value because you don't know what the Vikings are feeling after this happened. And it's it's a bummer for them. And you have to expect the team could rally or they could kind of be a little bit flat. I think the spread's a little too high in my opinion. Um, I would lean to the Vikings away uh, in this football game. They, they're going to slow it down, dink and dunk. Maybe that's enough to get by the Falcons a little bit, but nothing would surprise me. Just a couple quick stats. The Vikings are uh, 12th in EPA per play on defense, while the Falcons are 14th. So believe it or not, the Vikings' defense is quietly better than the Falcons, and they did not trade Daniel Hunter. Next game, the Rams versus the Packers. There's just I don't know if Stafford's playing. It's up to three and a half. I don't think that the backup is that good. Brett Rippon might be playing this game, which is more Brett Ripoff, in my opinion. I just don't see any value just guessing in this position. Uh, the Packers have been absolutely terrible. I've been losing on them every week. I'm done betting on the Packers. I, I learned my lesson. Jordan Love is really that bad. But they might just be able to run the ball the whole time, and the Rams might not be able to score anything with Brett Ripoff playing. 
So I just don't think that this is even capable of teasing or playing this situation at all until we find out some more information about Stafford. Uh, Commanders, Patriots, already gave you my thoughts on that. Buccaneers, Texans. Texans minus two and a half. Total is 40. Now, I like this game, and I am going to play the Texans. I have no idea why Baker Mayfield is still starting in Tampa Bay when you have a guy you drafted couple years ago from the Dolphins and Kyle Trask. It makes absolutely no sense. Baker Mayfield is a terrible quarterback. He reminds me of Jimmy Grapp a little bit. He couldn't hit anything. Now he's got a left knee contusion. So um, I don't know what that means. He's planning on playing according to uh, what these reports are. But uh, he played last week, actually. He had his contusion last week as well. But I just think Stroud is a much better quarterback and the Texans are on a much better trajectory than Tampa has, right? Tampa Bay on offense ranks 23rd in EPA per play and they also rank 29th in success rate. That's not going to get it done. The Texans are at least 24th in success rate and 13th in EPA per play. Better on offense. Looking from the defensive side of the ball, the Texans have certainly improved their defense. Number 16 in EPA per play, while Tampa is number 15. So what's the difference? Why is this not to three? Because even though home field is not worth three points, this the spread usually lands on a key number like three just based upon the pure numbers. So I'll take this all day at minus two and a half here for the Texans. I think that it's the end of Tampa Bay. I think that they just have a couple of receivers, a few guys on defense, and they're similar to the Rams being that they don't have a lot of uh, talent other than a few guys, very top-heavy and then not a lot of middle ground, lots of bad players. Tampa Bay gives up 256 passing yards per game, one of the worst in the league. They are a net negative 0.7 yards per play, while, while Houston is net negative 0.1. Take Houston minus two and a half for two stars. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Please. Colts first Panthers, Panthers plus two and a half, total of 44. This is an interesting game because the Colts are playing uh, a team that they fired their coach and how Frank Reich has landed on the Panthers. You wonder if there's a little extra motivation for the Panthers in this situation. Now, they did have their big win, finally got off the schneid. It is uh, the, for the Carolina Panthers, finally not going to be that team that doesn't have a win coming throughout the whole football season. But does that mean that they're going to cover this game. Not necessarily. I think the Colts are a little bit better than them. Not by a lot, though. And that's why I understand that the spread should be between the threes. Um, Looking at Carolina, they did not trade Burns. I think that's important. I also think that their defense in general has played a lot better the last week or two. So is a guy like Garner Minshew going to come in and light him up? Maybe. 
I don't think so, though. I think it's uh, going to be a three-point game, and the total's 44. It kind of tells you either way anything can go. I lean to the under here. I don't think Bryce Young is going to be lighting it up either. I know Adam Thielen's his biggest target, and Adam Thielen's been going over his uh, passing props a ton, by the way, over the past few weeks. So um going to lean right now to... I'll, I'll lean the Colts. I'll lean the Colts being that's under the three, but I'm not going to make a play on this. I'm probably not even going to get involved. I'm thinking about teasing the Panthers, but it wouldn't shock me if the Colts after last week's embarrassment come kind of run through it again as well. I already talked about the Cowboys and Eagles. Uh, Giants, Las Vegas Raiders. This is so interesting because the Raiders just fire McDaniels, their coach, Josh McDaniels, and their GM, Ziegler. You know, it was probably past time you know they probably should have done this a while ago I don't think McDaniels is that good and I also don't think that the Raiders made good draft picks you know they got lucky on a come some like Crosby everyone's getting lucky sometimes and Josh Jacobs is pretty good but all their first rounders and second rounders and third rounders over the past few years are absolute failures and so is this team you know the Lions they got lucky just to be in that game with a pick six absolutely lucky they're going to get decimated that game after they got decimated by the Chicago Bears the week before total embarrassment and then you don't trade Devontae Adams you're looking for at least a second rounder Adams is a star receiver in this league and you can't even trade him I I, I would have freaked out as the ownership as well and got rid of him but in saying that you got to go with the Raiders (laughs) Here's what's going on. I took the I took the Giants uh, plus three and a half, and this is also a hedge for me. I'm taking the Raiders on the money line at minus uh, at minus one twenty, uh, but I think the Raiders probably do win this game. Anytime a team fires their coach, they always get a bump, and that bump is these players finally play out of their mind. Well, Jimmy Grapple is not going to play, but Clayton Tune's going to go in there. But I think they're going to finally show up here at home in a game against a very weak. Giants team now three and a half was certainly too much but um there's value on both sides in my opinion I numbers wise even as bad as the Raiders are I still have them favored at home against the Giants by like three points without any changes the Giants have been awful this year they've been leaking all over the place have they played a little bit better the last few weeks sure uh, that win was or that loss was pretty tough last week where the Jets got right back in the game you know, I would have rather them lose that game or win that game. And, you know, then you could probably have a little bit more, I guess, oomph on the Raiders here, you know, coming in fat and happy. That, that's what the NFL really is. And the NBA is a little bit like that as well. But this is a situation where the Giants are absolutely injured. They're a very injured team. Um, Kavion Thibodeau is even questionable. He had a few sacks as their best player right there. Wendell Robinson, limited. Uh, Saquon Barkley was limited because of his ankle injury. He saw him injure his ankle last week. Darren Waller hurt his hammy again. He's going to be out for weeks, in my opinion. So he gets hurt. The backup Tyrod Taylor's hurt. But thank God Daniel Jones is back. But Dr. Jones wasn't exactly that good. Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal are both questionable offensive linemen. Uh, can't forget that they lost uh, Matt Pert, offensive tackle. Uh, a couple guards, Shane Lemieux. A couple weeks before that, like October 19th and October 20th, this is a very bad Giants team as well. So uh, you give them the bump. uh, I'll take the Raiders on the money line at minus 120. But I'm doing it more on a hedge as well. 
So I'm not going to make it an official play, but that's I'll, I'll just call it a lean. Uh, I like the fact that I'm playing between three and a half in money line here, and I'm only laying 10 cents extra juice with the Raiders. That's how you're supposed to sports bet. Uh, next game, the Bills versus the Bengals. And I made a play before the season started at Bengals at money line, and I thought the spread would be bigger by then. But uh, the Bengals really handled them the last couple games. And you remember that game with DeMar Hamlin that got hurt, and that was a really sad game uh, that that happened to him. But the Bengals just looked like to be the better team. The, the Buffalo can bully some teams around, but when it comes to playing uh, a solid team like the Bengals, which over the last few weeks, you know, they're getting better and better again. They really looked great against the Niners last week. Uh, doesn't want to get away with that bus. What's interesting is you can look at these two teams as a season as a whole. You're going to have the Buffalo Bills favored in this game, right? If you take the whole season. But if you just take the last few weeks, the last three weeks, it swings all the way to the Bengals being favored. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's amazing how that works. But Buffalo's been very injured. You know, they're a very injured team. Matt Milano's still on the shelf for the Bills. Let's see who else is on the shelf for the Bills. Uh, Demar Hamlin might come back someday. I don't think I don't know if he will. Josh Allen's right shoulder was banged up. He didn't even practice <laughs> his throwing shoulder. You got Kyrie Elam, their cornerback, won't practice because of an ankle injury on Wednesday. Quentin Morris, a tight end that was a backup. Obviously, they lost Dawson Knox, the injured reserves, not playing. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do with this banged-up defense. They did finally make a trade, at least, with the Packers for a cornerback, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be enough. I mean, after that Tennessee loss, something clicked with the Bengals. They beat Arizona 34-20. to They beat Seattle 17-13 to at home. They should have probably lost that game, to be honest. But then they go to San Fran and beat them 31-17. to I know San Fran is a little bit injured, but they weren't that injured. You know, Brock Purdy is playing that game. You know, something clicked with them. I mean, they're a net negative 1.3 yards per play. But the Bills, shockingly, they are actually it's net negative 1.5 yards per play. Sorry, but the Bills are only 0.2 net positive yards per play. So the Bills themselves aren't exactly, you know, whipping it up. They're normally like a 1 to 1.5 net positive yards per play team, but they're leaking oil all over. I'm going to believe what's recent. In my opinion, I think you got to do that. I think the Bengals started slow because Burrow missing the preseason and a few other things. But uh, Bengals seem to own them, so we'll lean with the minus two. And finally, you have the Chargers versus the Jets. And I do have a premium play on this, but there's a couple things you got to think about here. The Jets have a great defense. and They're a dog at home. They could certainly slow this game up, right? Slow it up to the point where, you know, it doesn't give the other team a lot of time to score. The Chargers sometimes puke all over themselves, yet the Chargers have a much better offense than the Jets. How many points is it going to take to beat this team? I think if you get to 17 points, you can cover three points against the Jets. I'd be shocked if the Jets can score 14, and the Chargers' defense looked a hell of a lot better last week against the Bears. So you got a couple things at bay here. I picked a side, but that will be a premium play for my clients. Now... It is time for our refuse to lose teaser. That is seven and one for the season. 
Like I said before with the Browns, we're going to take them to minus two. I think they win this game. Kyler Murray or not, the Browns are a much better team than the Cardinals. Be a lot nicer if Sean Watson's playing. And then we're going to take the Dolphins all the way up to 8.5. I think it's a one-score game. I think it's a low-scoring game, too. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of running the ball. But I think there's going to be a little bit of an advantage for Kansas City. But I also think the Dolphins have the best backdoor players, being that you have Tyreek Hill, being that you have Tua. You know, I think uh, Jalen Waddell, let's not forget about Mostert and a couple good running backs that they have. Too bad Achain ain't playing, but we'll take the teaser with the Dolphins plus eight and a half and the Browns minus two. Four, three stars. I let it go. And I said to myself, this is the business we've chosen. All right. Now it is time for the sharp side of the force. Sharp side of the force is brought to you by Betfred Sports. For a $250 bonus, please visit the Osbreakers slash Betfred terms, conditions, and location apply. All right. Sharp college football week 10. Sharp money movement as of Wednesday at 1230. Texas A&M plus four and a half to plus three at Ole Miss. 27% of the tickets and 59% of the money. Disagree with that. Sharp Man Temple plus eight to plus six and a half hosting Navy. 26% of the tickets and 89% of the money. Wow, that's an ugly one. Probably the right the move, though. Sharp Man Illinois plus four to plus two and a half at Minnesota. 59% of the tickets and 75% of the money. Sharp Man Tulane uh, minus 16 to minus 17.5 at East Carolina. 51% of the tickets and 91% of the money. Sharp Man Oregon State minus 11.5 to minus 13 at Colorado. Uh, for 74% of the tickets and 90% of the money. Sharp totals. Wisconsin versus Indiana over 43.5 to 45.5. 38% of the tickets and 83% of the money. I disagree with that. Sharpman, Texas A&M versus Ole Miss under 56.5 to 54.5. 40% of the tickets and 63% of the money. Sharpman, Notre Dame versus Clemson under 49.5 to 45. 75% of the tickets and 85% of the money. Sharpman, Army versus Air Force under 36, down to 32.5. Those military games. 89% of the tickets and 96% of the money. Sharpman, Virginia Tech versus Louisville under 49.5 to 48. 40% of the tickets and 90 99% of the money. Sharp NFL Week 9. We're looking at Colts minus 2 to minus 3 at the Panthers. 38% of the tickets and 54% of the money. Texans minus 1 to minus 2.5 hosting the Bucks. 41% of the money. 59% of the money. And sharp totals. Cardinals versus Browns under 39 to 37.5. 96% of the tickets and 99% of the money. Bears versus Saints under 44 to 41.55% of the tickets and 77% of the money. And Dolphins versus Chiefs under 51.5 to 50.5. 24% of the tickets, 79% of the money. My friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Huge shout out to Eric Eager from Sumer Sports for coming on and breaking down some advanced stats. I hope you enjoy the weekend. I hope you enjoy all the games. Win your bets and go get some winners.